Section thirty of Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph by Francis Sheridan. Volume two continued. July the nineteenth. Miss Birchill, poor soul, how I pity her. Her anxiety increases every hour she you may be sure keeps a look-out on all mr falkland's motions for she tells me she hears he is arrived in town i suppose i shall receive a notice of some kind or other from him the unhappy girl she grieves me to see her there never was so extravagant a love as hers she has nourished it in solitude and i believe has a heart naturally tender to an uncommon degree otherwise she could not for so long a time and with so little hopes have preserved so undiminished a fondness but some accidents have i know not how combined to feed this flame she acknowledges that mr falkland's being disappointed in espousing me gave the first encouragement to her hopes for she said she had reason to believe that i was the only woman in the world that stood between her and her happiness and mr falkland's remaining single ever since confirmed her in that opinion then the generous attention that he paid to her welfare in recommending her to my mother's notice when he first left england the noble supplies that he constantly furnished her with ever since for the child's use his behaviour to mrs gerard who she says is the most ensnaring of creatures the tender manner that he mentioned her in his letter to my brother my mother's constantly indulging her in the belief that she would one day recover mr falkland's affections all these circumstances i say joined together have kept alive the warmest and most romantic love i ever saw or heard of well may the men say that forsaken women are always the most passionate lovers it may be so and miss birchill is one instance of the truth of this observation but i think i should never make another there is something to me unaccountable in this but miss birchill is all made up of languishments and softness i have heard her speak of mr falkland in so rapturous a strain as has amazed me and she once owned to me that she is sure she must have died if he had not returned her love return it ah my cecilia how did he return it how mortifying is her situation to be compelled to court the man who flies her and to make use of a rival's mediation too but let me forget that name i am no longer so to her and shall do my best to prove it she wearied me with importunities to write to mr falkland now he has come to town but i beseeched her to have a little patience till some overture was first made by him towards a renewal of our acquaintance which i told her it was very probable i should soon receive you may be sure i took care not to let her know of the intimation i had from sir george she seems fearful of my seeing mr falkland oh madam said she if he beholds your face again i am undone unless you can first prevail with him i understand you dear miss birchill i give you my word i will not see mr falkland unless i am first convinced 
I can restore him to you.' "'How good you are, madam! Your influence, all potent as it is, can work miracles. If Mr. Falkland is sure you never will be his, perhaps he may return to his first love.' "'My dear, ought she have said so? But it is no matter, it is nothing to me now, who was his first or second love?' July the 20th. It has happened to my wish. A billet from Mr. Falkland sent with compliments and how-do-yes to my mother and me. Miss Birchall, who almost lives with us, was present when I received it. Her colour came and went several times while our servant delivered his message. I gave the letter into her hand as soon as I had read it. "'There is nothing alarming in it, madam,' said I. "'See yourself. Only a few friendly lines, such as I might expect.' Her hands shook while she held the paper. "'Now, madam,' said she, returning it, "'now you have a charming opportunity of writing to him.' I shall not fail, said I, to make use of it, and will let you see what I write. These are the contents of Mr. Falkland's letter. Will you, madam, permit a forgotten, though not the least zealous of your friends, to inquire after your welfare? Forgive me if I renew your grief when I tell you, that as I must participate in everything that relates to you, I have deeply mourned with you in the late calamity that has befallen you. When Lady Biddulph opens her doors to her general acquaintance, if I may presume to mingle in the crowd and kiss her hands, I shall esteem it as a particular honour, but will not, without her permission, attempt it. She is too good to refuse me this indulgence. You, madam, I hope, will not forbid it too. The humblest and most devoted of your servants. Orlando Falkland Yes, Orlando, I must forbid it. I know the consequences of thy insidious visits. I'll try you to the quick. You have given me an opportunity of writing to you, I think, without any impropriety. Miss Birchall's interest is uppermost in my mind, and I will at least try what my influence on this romantic, wayward heart can affect. How happy should I think myself if my mediation, all potent as she called it, would have the desired success. July the 21st. I wrote to Mr. Falkland last night. My mother approved of the letter which I showed her before I sent it. Mr. Falkland was abroad when it was left at his house, but as I received an answer to it early this morning, I will give you copies of the two letters together. I thank you, sir, from my heart for your friendship, and beg you will not think me ungrateful for having thus long deferred to pay you my acknowledgments for the signal favours I have received at your hands. I am sensible, sir, that it was owing to your compassion, your generosity, and disinterested nobleness of mind that I was once indebted for the greatest blessing of my life. To you I owe the vindicating of my suspected faith, and the being restored to the affection of my dear husband. For this goodness I have never ceased to bless and pray for you, and shall continue to do so while I live. But, oh, sir, while you have given me so much cause for gratitude and esteem, 
why will you leave one heart to sigh for your unkindness a heart that admires that loves that adores you a heart worthy of your acceptance and which has a right to demand all your tenderness need i name the possessor of this heart i need not there is but one woman in the world who owns this description for her let me become an advocate she has won me to her party indeed sir she and only she deserves your love hers i am sure you have ever possessed unrivalled though her youth her beauty and charming accomplishments must have made her the object of every one's wishes who saw her tis above three years since you first won her virgin affections what has been her portion since that fatal time tears solitude and unremitting anguish how can a mind like yours susceptible as it is of pity for the woes of others condemn such a woman to perpetual sorrow how can that generosity which has been so active on other occasions droop and languish where there is such a cause to call forth all its exertions do mr falkland permit pity to plead in your bosom for the dear miss birchill i should urge paternal affection too but to the voice of nature you cannot be deaf your sweet little son calls upon you to do him and his mother justice the injured lady herself implores your compassion my mother who equally admires and loves her entreats you i whom you once esteemed conjure you the secret monitor in your own soul must join in our solicitations why then why will you shut your ears against the united voice of reason of conscience and of gratitude you cannot you will not do it miss birchell's merit and sufferings must be rewarded and i shall bless mr falkland as the guardian of the injured the patron of the afflicted the asserter of his own as well as of my honour this is the light and this only in which i shall rejoice to see him mr falkland's answer you do well madam you do well to anticipate my suit and with so much cruel eloquence to bid me despair yes i see miss birchill has won you to her party but what have i done to merit such a malevolent fate that you you of all created beings should become her advocate i little thought mrs arnold would make such a barbarous use of her power tell me thou dear tyrant how have i deserved this would it not have been kinder to have said at once falkland do not hope i never will be yours i hate i despise you and leave you to your fate oh no you are artful in your cruelty you would prevent even my wishes and cut off my hopes in their blossom before they dare to unfold themselves to you but you have furnished me with weapons against yourself and i will use them with as little mercy as you have shown to me if three years are passed since i won miss birchell's affections is it not also as long that i have loved you with an ardour oh thou insensible were you not mine by your own consent with your mother's approbation 
was not the day the hour fixed that i was to have led you to the altar miss birchell's hopes were never raised to such a pitch as mine when an avenging fiend snatched the promised blessing from my grasp think what were then my sufferings i saw you afterwards in the arms of another miss birchell never suffered such torture had i seen you happy i might have been consoled if miss birchell loved me as i have loved you she would rejoice in the prospect of my felicity i should have done so in yours heaven is my witness had you been happy i should not have thought myself miserable though you were lost to my hopes why do you compel me to urge an ungrateful truth in regard to miss birchell madam she has no claim to my vows my gratitude my compassion she has an ample right to and she has them more might by this time have been hers if i had never seen mrs arnold remember i do not yet desire permission to throw myself at your feet i revere you too much to make such a request but do not banish me your presence i cannot always be proof against such rigours indulge me at least in the hope that time may do something in my favour i will not desire you to tell me so but do not forbid it lady biddulph knows i respect her but she is still obdurate if she relented would not you madam do so too how this man distresses me my dear what a difficult task have i undertaken yet i will go through with it i am fearful of letting miss birchell see this answer so discouraging as it is for her yet how can i withhold it from her sight tis necessary i should conceal nothing from her on this occasion she confides in me and i must not give her cause for suspicion she has no right to his vows this he always said it is necessary the lady should be quite explicit with me i doubt she has not been altogether sincere in what she has said to my mother on this subject i shall see her presently and discourse with her more particularly on this head than i have ever yet done i have had a conference with miss birchell a long one and in private for i told my mother i wished to talk with her alone i began with showing her mr falkland's last letter it had the effect i expected she was exceedingly shocked i laid my finger on that paragraph she has no rights to my vows it is necessary my dear madam said i that you should be perfectly open and candid with me on this head i have entered the lists for you and will not give up your cause but it depends on you to furnish me with every possible argument in your favour if you misled me by wrong insinuations instead of putting it in my power to serve you you will only create to yourself fresh obstacles it is a nice subject madam and what i have ever been cautious of touching upon to you but in the present situation of your affairs it is of the utmost importance to you that you should have no reserves to me when mr falkland first recommended you to my mother's acquaintance he referred her to your honour for an explanation of certain points of so delicate a nature that i am loath to touch upon them but pardon me dear miss birchell you must be open with me 
Mr. Falkland was obliged to declare in his own justification that he never sought to gain your affections, and was so far from endeavouring to take advantage of the kind sentiments you had for him, that he avoided all opportunities of improving them, that he was even surprised into the fatal step which has since made you so unhappy by the artifices of that vile woman who had the care of you. Mr. Falkland relied so entirely on your candour that, as I told you before, he referred my mother to you for a confirmation of the truth of what he advanced, imagining that your testimony would in some measure extenuate his fault. My mother, I have reason to believe, has heard the story from you in a light less favourable to Mr. Falkland. I was married before she received any information on this subject from you, and, as any extenuation of Mr. Falkland's side was then become a matter of indifference to me, I inquired not into particulars. But by what I could judge from my mother's discourse then, and from hints that she has many times dropped since, I am inclined to believe that either Mr. Falkland concealed some particulars, or that you, from a delicacy very natural to a young lady in such circumstances, chose to draw a veil over some parts of your story. But, dear madam, all disguises must now be thrown aside. Depend upon it, your candour will more effectually recommend you to Mr. Falkland's esteem than anything else, and perhaps your justifying him to me may be no immaterial circumstance in your favour. Variety of passions discovered themselves on her face while I spoke, but shame was predominant. She was mute and hung down her head. I took her by the hand. Do not think, my dear, I mean to ensnare you. Far be such perfidy from my heart. Have I not promised you my assistance? I declare by everything that is sacred, you shall have it to the utmost stretch of my power, but do not let a false bashfulness stand between you and sincerity. You will stop up the way to your own happiness if you do. Speak, dear madam, has Mr. Falkland been just in his representations?" She burst into a flood of tears. "'Oh, madam, you read my very soul!' What disguise can I make use of before such penetrating eyes as yours? Yes, Mr. Falkland has spoke the truth, shameful as the confession is for me. I own it. Mrs. Gerard, base woman, betrayed me. My own mad passion did the rest. Mr. Falkland told me a few days after the fatal evening that he was the most miserable man on earth for what had happened. He said there was a lady in the world to whom he was bound to offer his hand, that her brother was his particular friend, that his marriage was then actually negotiating, and he was pressed on that occasion to return to London. He owned he had never seen the lady, but as his honour was engaged to her brother, he could not look upon himself as a free man. He cursed his ill fate that he had not had an opportunity of informing me of this earlier, which, he said, might have prevented me from casting away my affection on a man who could not deserve it. 
what could i say madam there was no room for reproaches or complaints i made none i had nobody to accuse but myself i had declared my frantic love to mr falkland unasked i had implored his in return in one dreadful moment i fell a sacrifice to my own weakness the only hope that now remained for me was built on the circumstance of mr falkland's having never seen his destined bride had i known you madam to have been the person there could have sprung but small comfort from that consideration but ignorant as i was of the lady's merit i thought it not impossible but that some objection might have arisen either to her person or temper or the lady perhaps though that i thought most incredible might not approve of mr falkland in either case some glimmerings of hope remained for me mr falkland's generous compassion for me gave me room to think he did not hate me and i was unwilling to lose the little interest i thought i had gained in his heart by fond complainings much less upbraidings for which he had given me no cause i therefore acquiesced determined to wait for what my fate was to do with me resolving privately in my own mind that in case mr falkland's intended nuptials should not take place to remind him of my love i did not confess to my aunt what had been the result of that interview which she had contrived between mr falkland and me shame would not suffer me to divulge it but it was not long in my power to conceal it to believe indeed she suspected it before she reproached me for the error which she herself had caused but i believe what most nettled her was mr falkland's having escaped the snare for i am sure she would have been base enough to have had me retain him as a lover though i could not secure him for a husband for he was not the first that this bad woman would have seduced me to favour for her own private interest in the midst of the horror into which the condition i found myself in threw me i heard that mr falkland was on the point of being married the prospect I had before me drove me to despair. I knew I could not remain long in my uncle's house. I knew not whither to fly. In my distraction I wrote to Mr. Falkland. You, madam, saw the letter, that ill-fated letter which deprived Mr. Falkland of his happiness. I soon received an answer wherein Mr. Falkland related to me at large the unfortunate consequences that letter had produced he lamented in the tenderest manner my unhappy situation told me he would provide me a proper place for my retreat and as i was an entire stranger in london having never been there would recommend me to the notice of one of the best of women lady biddulph from whom as my unhappy story was known to her i might expect the utmost humanity and here madam with blushes let me own it he urged me not to conceal a single circumstance of the truth from that lady you know said he my dear miss birchill i am not a seducer rescue me from that black suspicion and as far as the unhappy case will admit clear my honour to lady biddulph 
see what a reliance i have on your honour when i trust the vindicating of my own to you in such delicate circumstances he concluded his letter with telling me frankly that though he had been rejected by miss biddulph he loved her with such an ardent passion that it was impossible for him ever to think of any other woman and till he had a heart to bestow he would never entertain a thought of marriage you know mr falkland at this juncture went abroad and thus was i circumstanced when i came to that house which he had provided for me and so frank and noble were his proceedings that i solemnly declare i was determined though at the hazard of divulging my own shame to have acquitted him to the utmost of my power to lady biddulph and should have rejoiced could i have been the means of procuring him the happiness he deserved in regaining your favour as i had been though unknowingly the unlucky cause of his losing it but fortune had disposed of you otherwise before i saw lady biddulph this she quickly informed me of and i will own to you madam that as i found there was now an insuperable bar to mr falkland's hopes i was mean enough not to have the courage to speak truth i saw it could not avail him in regard to his prospects with you lady biddulph's eye awed me yet i think she led me into a justification of myself so great were her prejudices against mr falkland or perhaps having already disposed of you in marriage in vindication of this step she did not wish to be undeceived yes again in spite of my confusion i must repeat it i was not sincere i threw out such hints to lady biddulph as must have made her think mr falkland had taken pains to undo me to this act of disingenuousness my sole motive was that i might appear in a less culpable light in the eyes of a lady of such strict virtue as your mother by making her my friend i was in hopes one day of making you so too devoted as mr falkland was to the most charming woman in the world i was not afraid of his making a second choice i thought if he were to be induced to marry he might in time be prevailed upon to turn his thoughts towards me in this hope i have dragged on so many tedious years i was not mistaken in my opinion that he could find none worthy to succeed mrs arnold in his heart he loves you still madam but you have declared you never will be his he is still free these are the circumstances that nourish my hope my heart is in your hand i have made you mistress of my dearest secret can you forgive me madam but you have an heroic soul remember mrs arnold to your generosity i now trust what is dearer to me than life should mr falkland know should lady biddulph know how i have abused their confidence i think i could not outlive it they never shall madam said i i thank you for this frank acknowledgment of your heart such a proof of your confidence in me i should be a wretch to abuse 
and i hope to make such a use of the candid confession you have now made me as will greatly promote your interest and is it possible madam said she you can yield up the interest you have in mr falkland without a pang oh the exquisite charmer and she said it with such an emphasis drawing out her breath in long sighs but you are heroic as i said before nature did not mould your heart as she has done those of the rest of your sex who that was beloved by mr falkland would yield him to another worlds ten thousand worlds would i give to be beloved by him as you are but you are a prodigy of a woman i stopped miss birchall in her transports there is less merit madam than you ascribe to me in my conduct i readily acquiesced under my mother's rejection of mr falkland when he had some interest in my heart but there is no self-denial in what i am now about to do for you my affections have long since changed their object and now lie buried with him in his grave my tears here bore witness to the truth of what i said miss birchall wept too her mind was agitated the confession she had made to me had humbled her her heart overflowed with fondness i had filled her with pleasing hopes all these sensations combined together melted her into tenderness she is made up of tears and sighs and romantic wishes i can now said i assure mr falkland that you have done him justice and that he is highly obliged to your candour she interrupted me but madam if he should know how late my acknowledgments came he need not know it said i my mother shall not know it either leave everything to my management and depend upon my word she snatched my hand eagerly and kissed it but oh madam above all things said she let not sir george biddulph know anything of your intended goodness in mediating for me he hates me implacably he hates me i upbraid him not for it his strong attachment to mr falkland is the cause of it he accuses me in his heart of being the occasion which i own i was though ignorantly of mr falkland's disappointment i am sure were he to know what you design in my favour he would counterwork you and use all his influence over his friend to ruin me i made her easy on this head by assuring her sir george should know nothing of the matter and put her in mind how lucky it was for her that he was absent i cannot help thinking my cecilia that there is a sort of a fatality has attended mr falkland's attachment to me by what a strange accident did we come to the knowledge of miss birchall's affair how strong were my mother's prepossessions against mr falkland and how many little circumstances concurred to encourage her in this disposition his letter from bath to my brother helped to confirm her in her dislike of his conduct miss birchall's letter to mr falkland though meant very differently was a strong motive of condemnation the only means of justification left for him my mother did not apply to till it was too late 
and then that very circumstance of its being too late to serve him miss birchill acknowledges was the reason that the very method which he had proposed for his defence was turned to his condemnation rooted as my mother's prejudices were she engages herself she engages me in a promise to use my endeavours to promote miss birchill's marriage to mr falkland does not all this look as if some unseen power who guides our actions had set a stamp of disapprobation on the union between this man and me i wish i had seen that letter which mr falkland wrote to my brother from bath my mother said she did not read it through he treated the subject lightly and there was one circumstance in particular in it that shocked her and yet surely if the whole might not have borne a favourable construction sir george would not have shown her that account by way of justifying his friend this reflection comes too late why did it not occur sooner to my mother or to me we drew no other inference from sir george's disclosing this letter than that as mr falkland treated the affair ludicrously it was therefore expected both by him and my brother that we should consider it so too that could not have been the case miss birchill's confession has opened my eyes poor mr falkland what a wayward fate is thine but let me beware of relenting that might be fatal there is still one indelible blot remains upon his conduct miss birchill blamable as she acknowledges herself was still betrayed and though not by mr falkland yet sure his having paid the price of her innocence to the wicked aunt renders him so far guilty as that he owes her a great reparation this was a particular i durst not touch upon the unhappy girl herself being ignorant of it there is a wide gulf fixed between mr falkland and me how many things are leagued against him alas he thinks the principal bar to his hopes is removed and that if miss birchill has been just he ought to be forgiven but he little knows thy sydney's heart critically delicate as my situation is in regard of him i am removed a thousand times farther than ever from his wishes neither knows he the engagements i am under to miss birchill which alone would put an everlasting bar between us unhappy miss birchill she has banged me to her by stronger ties than ever she has been ingenuous she has owned her weakness to me she declares she would have done this sooner if it could have promoted my happiness perhaps she would shall i not then endeavour to promote hers i will i must my word is given yet falkland deserves oh he deserves a worthier lot end of section thirty end of the second volume